0: Around the Waffle is produced by Backchat Studios and lives on the Acast Creator Network. You can find the show's social channels by searching Around the Waffle or the Backchat podcast, Backchat double underscore. Yes, hello and welcome to all our wonderful West Australian football fans to this week's preview edition of Around the Waffle. We're in full swing for the season. Round two is not too far away. Five games on Saturday, and after round one, if the first round was anything to go by, wait till we preview the matches for round two. We've got some crackers in store. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts or on the Backchat YouTube channel, or you can like us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My name is Paul Persick. It's always a great pleasure to have your company. And today I'm joined by a smooth, slick operator behind the mic. He does some great work in podcasting and in commentary for Seven's Waffle coverage, Tyson Beatty. He joins me today on Around the Waffle TV. Welcome.
1: Paul, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on Around the Waffle. I think we called a game a long time ago uh, together back in 2017 or 16 or something like that at East Romantle Oval, way back in the back of the move, Cow and Stan. And um, now it's great to see you, to have your own podcast and it's looking fantastic at the moment.
0: It feels like old times, doesn't it? You know, 2017, it feels like a long time ago since we called that game over at uh, the old stand. Of course, East from Handel Oval getting a a well-overdue makeover. But uh, it's a pleasure to have you on today, and uh, we've got a big show coming your way. First of all, Tyson, some of the big news items leading into the season. What about the opening round? It was revealed that there was a huge crowd spike uh, for all the five games over the Easter weekend weekend. Just around 15,000 people attended those games, a 52% increase in attendance from last year, a huge boost for the competition and good for Waffle Footy.
1: Yeah, and I believe um, that's the biggest aggregate crowd for a non-WA day round since round 6, 2009. So that's a pretty, pretty good effort by the Waffle and probably credit to the WA Footy Commission for the amount of marketing and promotion that they've put in. They had a big campaign going into the year. Uh, They put a lot into it, and it seemed to have stuck because those crowds were pretty good. The fixtures were great as well. The game at Leadable was sensational. The grand final rematch up at Pentanet as well. So um, I think a great effort by the competition, and, and they certainly got the reward for it.
0: They certainly did, and not only the fans that turned out, those that have been following Waffle for such a long time, but also new fans that were attracted to the product through the new marketing campaign, it really is a big tick in the box.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think the, the campaign is really aimed at trying to bring people to the ground for more than just the football. It's an event. It's an opportunity to bring families, younger people to the ground. They had a great success with that grand final in terms of the festivities around the game. And I think they want to tap into that idea a little bit more and give people something uh, to, in addition to great football, but also a reason to go to the ground. And I think a lot of the clubs took that up with um, you know putting on food trucks and other uh, things that can can bring people to the ground. So it's a good effort by everyone involved.
0: They wanted to capitalise on that grand final success at Leederville Oval last year, that day in October. And it seems as though the West Australian Football Commission are uh, really fared income about this new direction. And so far, the first step has been achieved. It's just a matter of consistently achieving it and keeping those crowds in.
1: Yeah and I think you know every club sort of has their own little way to attract their types of supporters that they want to get there uh but it's also not just what you see on match day but it's also that promotion through social media and and targeting another audience that might be interested in coming to the game so they've they've really been working hard on that and hopefully we can continue to see these crowds increase
0: Well, especially with a couple of big games in store, not just Swan Districts and East Fremantle, but also Claremont and South Fremantle, and then the co-tenants doing battle at of Oval. Now, another big story throughout the week was the story of the centre bounce being removed for season 2023. One round in, Tyson, it seems not a lot of people have been creating a fuss about it as far as a negative perception on the bounce being removed. But there was a lot of talk when Dean Margetts came on the show on Thursday to have a chat about the centre bounce being removed, and there's been a lot of opinion about it. What do you make of it?
1: I'm fully for it, Um, personal opinion, but I think it's great that they've got rid of the bounce. I thought the game flowed really well, the one that I called uh, at Leadable Oval. And not just that, I felt like the decision-making was really good from the umpires on that day. And is that got anything to do with the fact that they're not worried about the bounce, that they can back out and then purely focus on what they're trying to adjudicate? Maybe, maybe not. But I think that Um, you'll you'll see that no one's going to be talking about it much in in six to seven weeks' time. It was uh, a traditional thing. It brings more umpires into the game. We need to train more umpires up, and if we can eliminate that as being a requirement for it and focus more on the decision-making, which is the most important part, then uh, I think that's the way to go.
0: The recruitment and the retention was one, a couple of the prime reasons that why the centre bounce was being removed. And it also restores a little more faith into the umpiring system and how the umpires officiate the game. Because like you said, decision-making and how you make those decisions is going to be so important across the season now with the centre bounce being gone.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, the the, the two premiums that they, they were putting on for so long is, is fitness, which is in, incredibly important. You want to be able to get to the... Get to the uh, to the stoppage to make decisions and be able to you know when there's ball in transition to be able to move and get down to the down to the play and, and clearly the fitness levels of the umpires is outstanding. Uh, the bouncing was a bit of an issue, but. Combine that with the fact that we have waffle grounds and there are going to be some dodgy surfaces from time to time. We saw that all throughout last year. We can't control the weather. And I think that uh, you know just by eliminating that, it just makes them focus more on that decision making, their ability to find themselves in better positions at stoppages and, and making the right calls.
0: Is the centre bounce removal worth it, listeners? Let us know in the comments or on wherever you get your podcast or on the Backchat YouTube channel. Let us know what you thought of the centre bounce being removed after round one. Now, some news from the MRP Tyson. Sam Rotham, who was reported on multiple charges in the grand final rematch against Claremont, has escaped suspension. Luckily, he was uh, reported on three charges. He was booked twice for striking Jack Lucy and one on rough conduct on Jai Bolton, but has accepted a reprimand. That's a huge relief for the Falcons.
1: Oh, absolutely! Because Sam's a, a really important player for them. He can sometimes find himself in the ruck. He's the key defender, uh, but he's but he's also a leader. You know, he's an older player, very mature guy. I know Sam pretty well, and I think they'll be happy to have him have him back. And you know, it was a, obviously there was a bit of bit of spite in a grand final rematch. Why not? That's why it was was so exciting. Uh, and you know, I think the return leg of that might be very interesting later in the year as well, Paul.
0: Certainly will over at Rebo Fitness Stadium. Expect plenty of feeling in that one mid-season. Jordan Snadden for Subiaco, however, wasn't so lucky. He had been suspended for one match for his bump on Perth's Harry Quartermain. That one was a clear one for the MRP, I have to say. A couple of steps too late when Quartermain disposed of the footy and the MRP, I think, made the correct call.
1: Yeah, that one was going to be tough to over, overturn and, and, and they'll miss Jordan next week in the in the Coten battle. So uh, a big loss for Subi. You know, he's a player that's another critical player uh, in the waffle. So we'll see how, how they go without him. But yeah, probably one that was going to be tough to overturn.
0: Subiaco's defensive half has another hole, not just with Jordan Lockyer being out until early in the season after that knee reconstruction that he's been going through and the recovery from that injury in round six last year. But I reckon Subiaco still has the experience to cover for that loss.
1: Yeah, I mean, their back six was their strength for so long. And then we saw some, probably some weakness there last year for the first time in a, in a long time. But they still have Angus Dewar, so, so experienced. So I think that overall, Subi should be able to cover. Um, But they're in for a a big challenge against East Perth this week, which we'll talk about soon.
0: Now, just some late news that has been hitting the wires uh, throughout the morning before we recorded this podcast. Apparently, Tyson, big trucks represented by Sullivan Logistics are making their way to Leaderville Oval. There's been reports that Leaderville Oval could be set for a name change and the waffle could be in for a huge amount of sponsorship dollars.
1: Yeah, if this is true, this is great work by the WA Footy Commission because it's been a long time coming trying to get a major sponsor uh, since 2021, basically the last two years, difficulties through COVID, all that sort of stuff. But also for Leadable Oval, uh, this is a ground that has two teams playing at it. So it has the most amount of content for the waffle throughout the year. And very important that they try and get a um, a naming rights sponsor for the ground. They haven't had one since I think it was called Medibank Stadium uh, a while back. Uh, so it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, these things can, can annoy supporters that it doesn't have the traditional name at times. But remember, any, any revenue and, and, and money coming into the game is a fantastic thing for the sport.
0: Yeah, for the WAFL, any, any, any amount of sponsorship dollars that are coming in is going to be a huge boost long-term and in particular short-term because especially now with the new marketing campaign, the goal to attract new fans into the competition, all those factors combined, there's going to be more ticks in the box for the West Australian Football Commission and they can be credited for the efforts so far. Okay, let's get into our match previews, Tyson. Round two of the WAFL season. We're going to start it off at Pentonette Stadium in Joondalup, West Perth and West Coast. Some would say this is going to be a one-sider I don't really think this is the case because, especially with West Perth, they looked pretty rusty last week against Claremont in the grand final rematch. If you look at one stat in particular, Tyson, third equal most inside 50s with 51, but they had the lowest conversion rate of all the teams in round one every 10 entries for uh, for a goal.
1: Yeah, I mean, that might be a little bit of rust, Paul, but remember, they lost last year's game round one against Mm -hmm. Claremont as well. And then bounced back and had a tremendous win against Peel Thunder down in Mandra. I called that game at the time. and I thought they were fantastic. They seven goals in that first quarter and they managed to, to hold on for the victory when Peel came back a little bit more later in the game. So I think um, they wouldn't be concerned about dropping that first game, even though they would have liked to have won that grand final rematch. Uh, I think that they uh, you know, well positioned. It's a long season. There's still 17 more games to go in the regular season. So I think uh, no no dramas with that. They probably just want to sharpen up and and that sort of thing. Remember they have had a shorter off season than most other clubs other than Claremont. So uh, I think I don't expect that they'll be they'll be looking into that loss too much as, as being a problem down the track.
0: What about the West Coast? There were a lot of positives despite their thumping defeat at the hands of South Fremantle. Jackson Nelson, captain of the side, he showed some good form in midfield and a little further up the ground. Harry Creasy, I reckon, showed glimpses of his potential. So a lot of positives to take in for the West Coast Eagles, and I reckon they could be a very competitive unit once again.
1: Yeah, and that's what they want to be is um, is competitive because, you know, Harry Creasy, Joey Deegan, they've got some really good top-up players that the boys do. And Alec Waterman and Jackson Nelson, I mean, that's that's probably the, the critical uh, two players that have come into the team over the off-season for the Eagles that they haven't had a couple of really steady old heads to, to help the Waffle boys, um, you know, get get up and going throughout the year when, when things are getting a bit tough. So uh, Jacko is the captain. Um, a great appointment, and, and Alec Waterman, who was playing some outstanding football even at AFL level not that long ago. So uh, I think uh, it'll be closer than what people think. I mean, I, I, obviously West Perth will be will be strongly favoured, but um, depending on what the team comes out, then it'd be interesting to see how uh, how the Eagles line up. And you know, it might be might be a tight one. I remember back in 2019 they played a ripping final there, they and did, yeah. um, it was Brady Gray that actually kicked the game winning goal. Uh, for West Coast in a final uh, up at Junelup in a big crowd and, and they weren't too happy about that but, but West Coast in their first year as a standalone team in 2019 making the semi-final after that game so that was I think the last time West Coast won up at uh, Junelup so uh, it's been a long time and, and West Perth have a big advantage there normally uh, and, and a big one over, over us for sure
0: very hard to beat West Perth Arjun Lutt, but it's going to be a big big game make no mistake about it I think West Coast with with the players they've got they're mostly young players not a lot of old heads as you said and under the great experience of Robert Wiley they could give West Perth a real fright but the experience for West Perth could be telling and like you said they they just want to sharpen up on their on the way they're moving the ball inside forward 50 and just their discipline and their shots for goal as well I mean to concede what was it 5-12 uh, in that game that 14 point loss to Claremont uh, doesn't seem like a good start but you know Like you said, they did lose last year in round one. Next game, what a cracker this one's going to be. Steel Blue Oval, Swan Districts, East Fremantle. They met in the same round last year. The Sharks got up by nine points. This one's going to be another cracker.
1: Yeah, this looks like a great game uh, on paper. This Swan Districts versus East Fremantle. You know, Swan's coming off that heartbreaking loss last week, but they're so good at home. I mean, they're really, really good. Apparently, they've won the last nine games at Bassendine Oval. Is that right? That's that's in our notes here, Paul. That's amazing. La, last second, nine games. That's correct. Yeah. The second longest streak at their home ground at Basso, which it's a great place, isn't it? I love going out to Bassendine. Oh, the crazy. atmosphere, the three grandstands, uh, the can bar on the other side. Uh, the people are really fun to talk to and they just love their team. So it's going to be a, a great game. And instrumentally, have high hopes for this season. So... You know, losing last week to Peel Thunder, a you know, tough way to start going down to Peel round one for a team that's probably hoping to maybe make a grand final this year, uh, dropping that one. But like West Perth, they shouldn't worry about that too much because there's another 17 games. Here's the next opportunity against Swans. And, you know, I think this is going to be a really tight game. It's a hard one to call this one. Um, but Swans with that midfield, that pace, that's where they can win the game over Fremantle. The Sharks with their spread. They're hoping to to get as many entries as possible and, and get conversions through their big key forward. So it's a really tough one to call. It'll be a great game. Mate, you're absolutely
0: right, Tyson. That midfield, it's going to be a battle of the midfields. when I think Swan Districts has a little bit more up their arsenal, especially when East Fremantle have got still Blaine Bokhurst missing. And we're not going to you know, throw all the responsibility on Blaine because he's not going to come back until later in the season. But they weren't the same midfield as they were last year throughout that game. They had a few players not in the best form, especially in the last quarter when they let that 21-point advantage at three-quarter time slip. But having said that, they can have players that can shift up the ground and increase the score board pressure. Luke English, he was fantastic. He kicked three goals in that game, had 15 or 16 touches. And Cody Walker, he can take a few good pack marks and really provide that additional flare up the ground for East Fremantle.
1: Yeah. And for East Fremantle, the, the player to worry about is Aiden Clark. He was sensational last week for oh, Swans. Yeah. Um, his running carry was brilliant. Um, he gets off the leash and he's very hard to defend. And his delivery inside 50 is pretty good too. Uh, but you know that that's that's the guy I'd worry about for, for Swans. Even though they've got all those other weapons, they have a pretty good midfield. Swans and so does Estremantle. So that'll be where the battle is won or lost.
0: Are also in Swan Districts defensive heart because they've got a key weapon in Brandon Ursek. His intercept marking can really nullify the Sharks' forward influence in the game.
1: Yeah, and Brandon is had a great game last week as well. Co-captain, um, reliable player, makes good decisions with the ball. Um, the guy I would like to see a little bit more out of this week, Chris Jones, the other captain, the other co-captain yeah. of Swans, um, had a few opportunities last week. And in, in the second half, once Swans got back into the game, but he's such a dangerous forward. And he's very rangy, hard to defend, long arms. If he can get off the leash and kick four or five, then Swans are a great chance.
0: Now, from one cracking game to another, Claremont and South Fremantle. This one's going to be on Channel 7 from 2 o'clock. What a game this one's going to be. Both teams have had a few cracking encounters over the last few years, including that amazing grand final at Fremantle Oval. Last time they met here at Revo Fitness Stadium, appalling conditions. The Bulldogs got the job done,
1: but the Tigers very hard to beat at home. Yeah, they are pretty hard to beat at home. And you know what's amazing, Paul, is is this would be their 1,000th win if they win this one so that their current record 999 wins 1016 losses and 11 draws that's amazing considering Claremont's success in the second half of last century into this century I mean they've been probably the one of the one of the standards of of the waffle since the 1980s and yet they have an actual overall losing record so their early years in their in their history were pretty tough which is which is amazing these two teams haven't played at Claremont Oval um, or Revo Fitness, as you say, for, uh, for some time. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how South's handle handled the ground, a little bit different to the dimensions of, of Fremantle Oval. Um, and they've also played it regionally as well recently. So I think uh, it'll be a good game. I think South's, you know, they, it was good for them to, to get, that, get a win on the board early, given they're starting from behind with those two games, negative uh, eight points on the ladder. So they'll want to get they get another win. All of a sudden, they're at zero. And that makes them, okay, there's still a chance that they could go and make the, the top five, even though they've started two games behind. But the Tigers at home, and remember, they'll be up and about after that win last week. They're desperate to overcome um, last year's grand final loss and, and another recent grand final loss to South Fremantle in 2020. Uh, they'll think that it's their year, and they're not going to want to let a, a chance slip at home in their first game uh, at home at Revo Fitness this year.
0: I think a big worry for the Bulldogs, though, is once again Jai Bolton. His performance in round one was just sensational. 38 touches, very lean on his feet. You know, we were saying uh, in the episode myself and Dean Margetts on Thursday that he's lost a little bit of weight. He's looking a little bit fitter this season, and it's certainly showing with the way he's moving the football, able to maintain his balance and deliver. I mean, it goes to show why he's one of the prime players in uh, in the waffle competition.
1: Yeah, and you know maybe a chance to win a, another Sandover medal. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, it's such a rare mm-hmm. thing if he was able to get another one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, losing a bit of weight at that age, it, it can be really difficult uh, for players to drop weight and then change their games. But uh, it's a good observation. It might have been something that might be able to take him to another level for for the Tigers, and you know maybe that's a. Another, another means to, to getting back into the grand final and uh, his distribution from halfback coming into the midfield. I mean, he's, he's a great player. He's been a fantastic player since he's come across from Victoria.
0: Now he certainly has, and uh, his resume really proves why he is one of the best. And another thing for Claremont, too, is just the way they're able to move the ball across the ground and open up play. They're willing to take the risk south from Mandel. They have to counter that with physical pressure.
1: They do, and and that's that's going to be probably... Uh, that's a good point of how the game might actually be. If Claremont can spread the ball... Remember, even going back to that grand final, once Claremont was able to take some more risks on the outside, it really opened up the opportunities for them to get back in the game. And they do have some pace and some run off half-back, which is some teams just can't defend whatsoever against Claremont. So... Uh, interesting to see how this one goes. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll hold our tips to the end, but I think again, I think this one, like the South game or the Swans game, is going to be pretty close.
0: No doubt. I reckon it'll be down to the wire. Now, the fourth match on Saturday. It's at Lane Group Stadium, south of the river. Peel Thunder taking on Perth. Interesting game for both teams. Peel, of course, coming from 21 points down at three-quarter time to snatch the game by four. And Perth looked very competitive in the first half, but ultimately uh, reined in by the experience of Subiaco. Could this be a sign that either Perth could bounce back and show their competitiveness was not a one-off? Or could Peel Thunder, even with the Dockers players that they have in that team, prove that once again, they can be a final threat.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see when these teams come out uh, how loaded uh, Peel is with Fremantle players and if, if players are held back for any reason. But I think uh, given the timings of the game, we're going to find out pretty quickly that, that Peel will probably have quite a few Fremantle players in there and they should be strong favourites here in this game against the Demons. Um, yeah, good effort in the first quarter, wasn't it, by Perth last week against Subie, but couldn't maintain it. And that happened a few times last year. But you know, as as Peter German starts to to get more of a hold of of the squad and and implement his game plan, hopefully that they, they they're able to stay competitive and stop runs from the opposition. Once four or five goals get get slapped on, to try and stem the flow uh, defensively, uh, that'll probably be what he what he'd like to focus on. Peel Thunder, you know they are they are a tough team if you're. If you're starting to lose control of the game in the third and fourth quarter, remember the fitness of a lot of those Fremantle listed players often gets them over the line, especially at home. So I think Peel will be pretty strong favourites in this one.
0: When you talk about the likes of Sam Sturt and Will Brody, who will likely be missing from that Peel game against Perth to go over to Adelaide for the gather round, they'll be playing the Gold Coast over the weekend. It really goes to show how much depth Peel can really have, even if they are missing around three or four Dockers players, because Brody and Sturt, they were terrific in that last quarter. Brody and the coalface, getting those clearances, and Sam Sturt, two goals in two minutes in the final quarter. That represents a lot of what uh, the depth Peel Thunder, ha- how much depth Peel really has at both ends of the ground.
1: Yeah, Brody was borderline all Australian squad kind of level player last year. He was fantastic um, for Fremantle, and he's found himself in the Waffle side. I mean, that's that's the depth that that Fremantle possess at, at the midfield, and then they've got those kids, you know, Neil Erasmus and Matt Johnson, who's who, yeah, Matt managed to push up into the AFL side, but played last year at Waffle level. Um, whereas you compare that to say West Coast, where a lot of the the first rounders have had to play straight away due to injuries. So it's all it's all a lot of it's dependent on. Um, your squad balance, your squad fitness, the health of the, the AFL team. And and when, when Fremantle's team is healthy, then Peel's team is healthy. And that means they're a great chance to win games.
0: What about Perth? I mean, Peter German was willing to take risk in moving their regular forwards up to the midfield. Case in point, Sam Stubbs in the first and second quarters. He showed lightning pace in the centre, getting the clearances for Perth. But the problem was their delivery inside 50 after half time, wasn't as effective. Whenever Peel, uh, whenever Perth rather delivered the ball inside fifty, there was always a Subiaco player picking the bones.
1: Yeah, Stubbs is an interesting one, isn't he? He's kind of like a he's an, he's an electric, enigmatic kind of forward who potentially has that midfield ability too. Um, I don't want to say Jordan De but someone like that kind of electrifying forward who has the ability to go in the midfield and make an impact. The issue probably is around stamina and, and endurance as well, and being able to. To, to, to get in there for long periods of time and continue to try and get clearances, uh, contested possessions, that sort of thing. Uh, delivery inside 50 um, at times, but he is such an exciting player. He's great for the waffle stubs. I mean, he's got a huge mm-hmm. following on TikTok. People know who he is. He's got a bit of strut about him. I think, I think that's the kind of guy where we talk about marketing the waffle. He's a guy that you can really get behind and, and notice when you go to games.
0: He's a real down to earth bloke as well. I had him on uh, radio pre season, and uh, just the way he he's so he's so oh he's so relatable to a lot of people uh, in in the WAFL, not just young but also old. But uh, where he comes from, his background, his footy background, just remarkable and amazing story, and just the way he plays as well. Such a spectacular forward. I called a few of his games last year. His marking ability and his uh, goal kicking prowess inside fifty. He's got the wow factor, Sam Stubbs.
1: Yeah, and That's I mean, who knows? It. He's, I mean, he's got he the can, wow factor. That's well, all I can say get, about that. Yeah. Well, if he can get super fit, who knows? He could get on a list. Um, I know he's done some training with with AFL teams, but I mean, you know, it, it. Some of the stuff that he has, you can't teach. That that goal sense and that ability to um, to know where the goals are to to pull something out, which which other players can't. So, yeah, I want to see how he develops over this season. If he um, just throws everything into his football, who knows?
0: Now, it will certainly be interesting come Saturday against Peel Thunder. Now the final game of the round, and what a beauty this one's going to be. The battle of the co-tenants up at Leaderville Oval, Subiaco and East Perth. Ooh, this one, I reckon, is going to be red hot right down to the wire.
1: Oh, absolutely, uh, Paul. And I'm calling this one on afl.com.au, um, streaming, thanks to Jam TV. It's going to be a fantastic game. I'm really looking forward to it. Subi versus East Perth. I called this one last year, the game that ended up in a one-point result for uh, for Subiaco with Maxi Walters with the, the soccer off the ground with three or four seconds left. It was such an exciting game. And I think uh, this one could be really good too because East Perth, they started really well last week, ended up winning by just one point as well against Swan Districts. Um, Their midfield is where it's at. And you sort of think their midfield now with Mitch Crowden is possibly the best midfield in the WAFL. Scott Jones, the ruck, a big, big guy, gets a lot of hit outs throughout the game. Hamish Brayshaw, best and fairest winner at East Perth. Crowden, as I mentioned, coming into that team as as an acquisition. Uh, Angus Schumacher, fantastic player. So they've got a lot of weapons and they've got some young players as well. And they've shored up their their key defensive stocks and their and and their forward stocks aren't too bad. So I think East Perth their goal has got to be finals this year with the improvements that they've made to their team. And here's a great test they've knocked off Swans. Now they've got Subiaco, who's kind of owned them in the last few years. In fact, they've won their last four games and sixteen out of seventeen. Paul, that's amazing. Ooh, what a strength. It Goes all the way back to 2015. Only one win. And that was in the COVID uh, year of 2020. That was by nine points. So this is a huge test for Ross McQueen and East Perth up against Suby. Bo Wardman, so experienced in so, so many experienced players with Suby. So I love this game. I reckon it's probably going to be the game of the round.
0: I would think so, especially with so many weapons at both sides. You talk about Subiaco, their midfield kitchen. Walters even shifted up the ground during Saturday night's win over Perth under lights, and he was huge in the cold face, and even a little further up the ground, like you said. And also, up forward, I reckon this is where Subiaco could win the game, Ben Sokol. When he gets into form, he is hard to stop, no matter what defender you put on him.
1: And wasn't he brilliant again last week? I mean, Sokol, I just think he's a fantastic player, a great waffle player. Um, he's kicked so many goals. He's so reliable. And he's not a big guy either. I mean, to be a leading forward at his size, uh, and he's the way he converts goals from different angles inside 50, um, he's just a gem. So they've got to stop him. The problem for East Perth has been kind of fade-outs to a degree, last year in mm-hmm. particular, and then in round one, having a dominant lead in the game. And they're just allowing the opposition to get back into the game and not really having a way to stop that or combat that. So... Can East Perth get on top early? I think they can, but whether or not they can maintain uh, throughout the game will be the key question for them. And then Subiaco, uh, if they get behind, can they respond? Do they have the ability um, to get back into it as well? So I'm fascinated by how this one's going to play out, uh, but I think it's going to be a really good game. The weather looks okay on the weekend, even though we've got a lot of rain here on Thursday and Friday coming up. I reckon that uh, a nice, clean surface at Leadable, we should see a great game.
0: I reckon we should and with that in mind let's go to the tips for round 2 we'll start things off with uh, West Perth and West Coast. Hopefully, fingers crossed personally I go more than 1 from 5 this round but anyway West Perth and the Eagles who wins over there in Joondalup.
1: Okay well I've got my West Coast hat on here so Falcons fans probably not going to like this but I'm going to I'm going to predict an upset here Paul. This might not be a very common prediction but I think it could be a close one 5 point win to the Eagles. <laughs> There's going to be some many uh, shocked Falcons fans after that, but uh,
0: <laughs> I'll say West Perth. But I reckon it's going to be only four goals. Some some would say it's going to be another 50 60 point thrashing. I don't think that's really the case. I mean, especially with West Coast, you know, fielding so many positive, despite the margin that they got beaten by against South Fremantle. But uh, I reckon West Perth. They'll, they'll you know sharpen themselves up quite nicely after their round one loss. So West Perth, for me, by about four goals. And then the first of the real hard-to-pick games this round, Swan Districts and East Fremantle.
1: Yeah, that is a tough one. And Swans at home are really, really strong. East Fremantle um, bring in a, a really good team, though, and I think they should bounce back. I think even though they lost that game, they really did dominate large periods of it against Peel Thunder. My prediction is going to be East Fremantle by two goals, 12 points. East Fremantle by
0: 12. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say Swan District's hard to beat at home. Aiden Clark on fire. And Jesse Turner playing in tandem. Clark and Turner in the midfield can be deadly. That's what will win them the game. Claremont and South Fremantle from Revo Fitness
1: Stadium. Another
0: cracking game.
1: Yeah, this is, a, this is a tough one to pick. But I think the Tigers, uh, they're up and about. They're at home. Um, South from Mantle haven't played a lot there at Revo recently. And I think that the Tigers are going to win by 13 points.
0: Tigers for me as well. Uh, it's going to be a good game. No, no, make no mistake about that. Uh, Peel Thunder and Perth from Lane Group Stadium in Mandra.
1: Yeah, Peel, the, this is probably the, the more dominant game of the weekend or one-sided game of the weekend, I think. Peel Thunder at home against Perth. Uh, I think Peel probably win this by four goals.
0: Yeah, peel for me as well, round the same margin, but expect Perth to be very competitive. They showed glimpses of that on Saturday night in round one, and finally, this is going to be a good one. You'll be at this one, like you said, Battle of the Co-tenants at Leederville Oval, Subiaco and East Perth.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard to pick against Subiaco. Um, you know, even though when you you think they're going to be on the downward slide, they still have so many great players and such a such an even list. I I, I have a feeling though, East Perth that the, the energy after they had that victory the other day, uh, the supporters are up and about. They're trying to make the finals for the first time in five years. New coach. I, I reckon they're going to win this. It's going to be really tight. Maybe just three points, East Perth.
0: Three points to East Perth. But I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say Subiaco by at least a goal. This one's going down to the wire over at Leaderville Oval. The experience in Subiaco's midfield and their forward line is going to be the difference. Even with, you mentioned East Perth's uh, X-Factors here. Brayshaw. Schumacher, Crowden, and also Scotty Jones in the ruck. They're going to be big for East Perth, but the Lions experience all over the ground is going to be too strong. Can't wait for round two ties. And we thank you for joining us on, uh, on around the waffle. Good luck uh, with the call. at a uh, leader of a label. That one's going to be a beauty.
1: Thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Uh love the show. You're doing a great job. And, uh, Yeah, hopefully get on again sometime. Uh, Certainly will, mate. And uh, to our listeners
0: and our viewers, we thank you very much for your company, listening on wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. Don't forget, Tuesday, our round two review, our regular co-host, Taylor Cowper, is going to be making his debut for season 2023. We can't wait to have him on for the first time in a big, big season of Waffle Football. Make sure you like us on our Facebook page, our Instagram and on Twitter so you can find out where our shows are available to, And you can check out some of our reels and our highlights as well for every episode. We look forward to your listenership on Tuesday when we review round two.
1: Around the Waffle is produced by Backchat Studios and lives on the Acast creator network. You can find the show's social channels by searching Around the Waffle or the Backchat podcast, Backchat double underscore.